It's not hard to distinguish longing from its three lesser relatives, wishing, hoping, and wanting. You simply need to listen. Listen for sentences to begin with phrases like, if only I could, oh, how I need, all I really want is. And look forward in tears, too. In his book, Whistling in the Dark, Frederick Buchner says this, You never know what may cause tears. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it, or a piece of music, or a face, or a pair of old shoes. But of this you can be sure, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected ones, it is well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you've come from and summoning you to where, if your soul is saved, you should go next. So longing is a signal that there's more out there than we know, some other place or time or reason for which we were created. We know in our spirits that things on earth aren't the way they were designed to be. And that makes us restless. We want everything to be made right in the world. We want justice to be done, the good to be rewarded and the evil to be punished. We long to be rescued from darkness and danger. The Bible has much to say about longing. David knew what it meant. He said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. And it's so easy to picture that analogy. Paul understood it too. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-2. But I think Romans 8 is the key passage. We're not going to put it up, but I encourage you to study it. We read there that we groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans too, waiting for its redemption and release from decay. And so does the Holy Spirit groan as he intercedes for us according to God's will. So groaning is what happens when words cannot express what we're feeling. In a real sense, our longings then are human expressions of God's spirit within us, aching for the day when creation is finally redeemed. Unfortunately, desires can be twisted by Satan into sins like lust and envy. So we have to be on guard whenever we find ourselves earnestly wishing for something we don't have. Let's focus our attention briefly this morning on several objects of our longing and what they represent at their deepest levels. And if you have an outline, you can follow along while I I get my water. (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah. I'm an unusual preacher, folks. That's just what I am. You can always expect me to cry once or twice. (laughs) 
The first longing is longing for a home. Longing for home. A few years ago, I went to my uncle's 90th birthday celebration in rural New York State. He's the only uncle I've ever had, so it seemed like the seven-hour drive from western Pennsylvania would be worth the trouble. My twin brother Stephen drove over from Chicago, and our family set off together to this special event. The road we traveled went through the town of Oneonta, New York. My brother and I had been born there 55 years earlier, yes, on the same day, and had spent the first four years of our lives in the village of Morris, a few miles to the north. Stephen, my brother, had never been back, and I could only recall one previous brief visit 20 years earlier. So we quickly agreed to go find our roots. My dad had pastored the Baptist church in that town for several years, and it was not hard to find the steeple on Main Street. It was late afternoon, and our plan was to drive through town quickly and be on our way again so we could get to our destination before dark. The church door was open, so we went inside and were soon joined by the custodian, who'd grown curious as he watched us enter the sanctuary. We explained who we were, and he pointed down the street and said, you ought to go talk to the ladies on that porch. They looked at us with friendly smiles as we approached. I stepped forward and said, hi, we are Stephen and Stanley Clark, and Douglas Clark was our father. Their joy was spontaneous. It's the Clark twins. I'm I'm really sorry. For the next hour, we sat on wicker chairs on their porch and savored the stories of how these women had been our babysitters and how much they'd loved our family and how there had never been another pastor in their church as special as my father. For my whole life, I've been on the move with no idea where home was. Was it Illinois, where I spent much of my childhood? Texas, where I went to high school? Chicago for college? Florida in my graduate school years? Was it any of the other places I've lived, from Saskatchewan to Massachusetts to Russia to California to Minnesota? Or was it this small town where I'd taken my first steps a half century before? You can probably guess the answer. Sitting on that porch in a little village in central New York State, I had come home. All of us long for home. It is innate, a fundamental part of our human identity. We long to be among the familiar faces and places of our past. What else could explain the popularity of photo albums, class reunions, family gatherings? What else could explain why so many popular songs, movies, and novels have as their theme the notion of going home? The folk and country music of the 20th century, I think, captured it best with lyrics like these, and feel free to hum along if you're old enough to remember the words. Take me home, country roads, to the place I belong. Where is it? West Virginia. Last night I fell asleep in New York City and dreamed about the cotton fields of home. I want to go home. Lord, how I want to go home. Every stranger's face I see reminds me 
that I want to be homeward bound. Hey, it's good to be back home again. Sometimes this old farm feels like a long lost friend. You see, home is a magical word. It never gets old. We long for the security and warmth we once experienced before time and place had any real meaning for us. We have faint and fragmentary memories of love and joy and belonging. And if for some reason we didn't have a loving childhood home, we long for what should have been. This longing never leaves us because it's an echo of our very nature as human beings. Life is only a pilgrim's journey. As the old spiritual puts it, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So home is, in the end, not a place we come from, but a place we're going to. The psalmist said, blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. And so we pass through the difficult landscape of daily life with our eyes fixed on the horizon, heading home. There's a second kind of innate longing that lives deep within each of us. It's the longing to be known, to be significant to other people, to have intimate friendships, to be greeted by name and with a smile, to be cherished. We don't want to be alone. We need others, people who know our personal biography, our likes, our dislikes, our strengths, our weaknesses, our secrets, our successes. We need people who accept us for who we are, who stand beside us in hard times and rejoice with us in good times. To state it differently, we need intimacy. We long for a loving and faithful spouse with whom we can both be physically and emotionally one flesh. We long for children and grandchildren who run to us when they see us coming, (coughs) for dear friends who hug us and won't let go. I suspect most of you have moved from place to place in your life the perfect rest that is promised us in that kingdom that will never end. If we truly meditate on heaven, the desire for it can become overwhelming. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Just think about that for a while. Just meditate on that. In Romans 8, Paul said, Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. In the 17th century, Richard Baxter put it this way. He'd been meditating on heaven. What incomprehensible glory I have seen. O blessed souls that now enjoy it, why must I stay and weep and wait? My Lord has gone, he's left this earth and has entered into glory. My brethren are gone, my friends are there, my house, my hope, my all is there. If that isn't a statement of longing, I don't know what is. But there's one more ultimate longing, and that is for Eden. This world, this world is our final home. In Isaiah 65, we read, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. In his book, Heaven is Not My Home, Paul Marshall said this, 
It's an unbiblical idea that the earth doesn't matter because we're going to go to heaven when we die. Our destiny, he says, is an earthly one, new, redeemed, transformed. We need to pause here to understand what the Bible teaches about the earth. First, God created us not to play harps on a cloud, but to rule over the earth. We are stewards on this planet, both now and in the life to come. As such, for now, we are standing in the master's place, looking after his affairs, and responsible to give an account for our actions when he returns. And the second point is that God loves the earth. In Psalm 104, there's a passage that describes this in poetic form. The psalmist talks about springs of water that God makes to nourish and satisfy the animals and the soil. He talks about grass for the cattle provided by God's hand and of well-watered trees that provide shelter for birds. He describes the rock crags that protect the mountain goats and the oceans teeming with creatures beyond numbering. And then he sings, How many are your works, O Lord! In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And you know God made a covenant with the earth and all its creatures after the flood. He would never destroy it again. And he gave the rainbow as a seal of the covenant. So God still cares for the world. He gives all living things what they need each day. And he cares about it too. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Matthew 6. God has not given up on a world he created. It really matters to him. So at the end of time, God will heal the earth. He will redeem it and not destroy it. The fire we read about is a metaphor for judgment not for annihilation. Everything God made will one day be restored because he's reconciling everything to himself. Colossians 1. And I think the passage in Revelation 21 is the capstone of this truth. Beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He saw the city coming down to the earth, to where we are now. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them on the earth. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
This is our ultimate longing for Eden. And we see it by faith in the distance. We are pilgrims, sojourners, looking for a new earth that is yet to come. J.R.R. Tolkien once wrote an essay on why people seem to have such a desire for an appreciation of fairy tales. He said there are two reasons. They like stories about not being bound by time any longer and where there's no more death. And this is Eden, a faint but undeniable memory of a perfect garden embedded deep within our makeup. And we somehow understand it is a place that we are returning to at the end of time. We're going back to Eden. Paul Marshall in his book, Heaven is Not My Home, which I referred to earlier, describes an experience he had in Africa that gives us a glimpse of this fact. He says, early one morning I walked along a ridge in the Siske region of South Africa. In the distance, the morning mists were beginning to clear and the early light of the sun was catching the snow-edged peaks in purple light. Below me, still in shadows, lay a small scattered village. Cooking fires were burning and the smoke rose in slim spirals in the still morning air until they merged to form a sweet-smelling haze of wood smoke that lay protectively over the village. Like the smoke, a song also enveloped the village, a slow melody that rose and fell as the day brightened. I could see figures emerge from the huts and then draw breath to join in the morning song. As they walked, swaying elegantly, carrying clothing or wood or food, they continued to sing until when they entered another hut, they ceased. But the song itself never stopped. As different people appeared, they sang. Though the singers varied, there were always people present to join in the song. It seemed that even if none of the people sang, even if they were all silent, the song would somehow remain echoing peacefully up the valley. It was as though the song itself had a life of its own. Like the smoke, it hung over the village, and people could join in or withdraw from it, but it would still be there. It existed before them, and they were part of it. It was not so much that they decided to begin singing, but they were joining a song that was given to them in the fabric of the creation itself. So here we are on Easter Sunday, looking into an empty tomb that makes the fulfillment of all our longing possible and without which we would be utterly lost. Christ died in agony. He rose victorious over death. He lives in glory. He's coming again. We long for that day and pray come quickly Lord Jesus, let's pray. Lord, you've created within us both the longing for yourself and the means of satisfying that longing. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Please fill us with your spirit so we don't miss you when you speak to us. Please know us and remember us and take us home. 
Amen.